Uh, it's, it's good to be back with you all after uh, all these years. Um, as the video said, my name's Joshua. My wife, Eerdy, is uh, homesick, uh, as is many others, apparently, uh, this morning. So thank you for having me. We, as the announcement said, we work in England, in Nottingham, England. Nottingham as in... Maid Marian and Sherwood Forest and all of that. A couple university campuses. It's a university city. Uh, about one to two percent of the university students profess any faith in Christ. Uh, so there's a lot of work uh, to be done in, in reaching out to that urban population, as well as motivating them. We, we I've taken uh, some of the believers to trips to Turkey, uh, to Muslim countries. This summer we got a trip to the Sahara Desert planned. Um, once again, it, going behind uh, the Islamic veil and trying to bring the message of Jesus. All right, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 61. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can follow on. If not, that's fine. I will read the passage out loud, so uh, no pressure. We're not going to point at you if you didn't bring it. Well, maybe I will. All right. So we're in Isaiah 61. Um, a lot of times when I'm in Nottingham on the university campus or uh, I'm talking to uh, university, Christian university students about wanting to bring the gospel to uh, lands that are even more unreached than Nottingham. Nottingham's an unreached city, but there are places in the world even darker than that. And we talk about bringing the gospel to, into, into the Islamic uh, countries. A lot of times the question is asked, well, you know... Uh, if you take away the exteriors, underneath aren't all religions basically the same? I mean, really, Jesus was a teacher. He taught people to, to love each other, didn't? Buddha and Muhammad generally teach the same thing, you know, that we're supposed to be good and, and, and care for people and, you know, not lie and, and do bad things. Really, what's... What's the big deal? What's, what's the difference? Um, is, is it really worth all the effort and the time and energy uh, to try to bring the message of Jesus to, to people in other countries when they already have their own teachers? They already have their own prophets. Is, is there anything really unique about Jesus? Is there anything different that he offers that, that many of these other teachers and gurus and, and prophets uh, do not? And so that's a question uh, I get a lot. Maybe sometime in your life you faced a similar question. Maybe you have some uh, unsaved loved ones, relatives, maybe at the workplace. You, you've been asked a similar question. What's, what's so special? What's so unique uh, about Jesus? Well, Isaiah 61 gives us, helps, helps us answer that question. Uh, Isaiah was a prophet. He lived a uh, good 700 years before Jesus. Now, the book of Isaiah, it's, uh, it's an interesting book. It's one of the longest books in the Old Testament, 66 chapters in all. And there are some people who think that the book of Isaiah is actually two books, that uh, chapters 1 through 39 is written by one guy called Isaiah. And then there was another guy named Isaiah who lived 200 years Later, in 500 BC, when Israel was captive in Babylon, his name was Isaiah, and he wrote chapters uh, 40 to 66. And so really what we have today called Isaiah is written by two prophets called Isaiah, not just one. Uh, I'm actually one of those people who think only one guy wrote the whole book. Uh, there are other people who think there were two Isaiahs who wrote the book, whole book. Um, whatever your view is, uh, some guy named, some prophet named Isaiah wrote it, either 500 years ago or 700 years ago. Um, I believe it was 700 years ago by one guy. And 
this prophet Isaiah, he's looking into the future. God's giving him a, a glimpse of the future of the day when God is going to send the Messiah into the world. Up until this point, there have been many prophets. Isaiah was one of them. There have been a lot of teachers. Moses, of course, was the great lawgiver. Uh, a lot of influential men and occasionally some women as well throughout uh, Israel's history, forming and shaping this nation. And Isaiah is, is a fantastic prophet, and he's looking forward in the future to the day when the Messiah comes. And more than just a prophet, more than just a teacher. And it says in chapter 61 this, The Spirit of the Lord God is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give a crown of beauty instead of ashes, yes. festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair. And they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify him. Or again, something into the mission of the Messiah. And this is the same passage. If you read Luke's gospel, Jesus preaches his first sermon from this passage. When he is 30 years old and the Holy Spirit, he's baptized in the Jordan River. He goes away for 40 days into the wilderness where he's tempted of the devil. And he comes out to begin his ministry. The first recorded message he preaches in a synagogue is from this passage. Isaiah 61, he, he reads this passage, he begins to expound on it, preach and teach from it, and he says, today this passage is fulfilled in your hearing. And he got in a lot of trouble for that because they said, gee, who, who are you to claim this passage? Only the Messiah, only the Savior can claim this passage. And of course, that's exactly what he was doing. He was claiming to be the Messiah and the Savior. This is what Jesus' mission is all about. You want to know who Jesus is. You want to know what he does. He's more than just a Mr. Rogers figure that tells you to love your neighbor and to be nice and to recycle and yeah. don't smoke or don't drink or don't go to those dances. <laughs> Jesus comes into the world. He's a man on a mission. And he's anointed by God to do something. And the Holy Spirit comes on him in power. And here's what he's going to do. He's bringing good news to all you poor people. You might think, oh, I'm not poor. They're, I'm okay. I have money in the bank and compared to people in other parts of the world. Listen, this whole world is under sin. It's yeah. broken. Compared to the way this world was supposed to work, all of us are poor. Yes, that's right. And maybe you don't feel you're poor financially compared to other people. Many of you are poor emotionally, relationally, yeah. socially. You have relationships in your life that are just driving you mental. All of us are poor in different ways. And Jesus Christ comes to bring you good news. He is coming to heal the brokenhearted. All of us in this room have suffered from a broken heart. It's one of the worst forms of suffering that the human heart can bear is a broken heart. It's when we have expectations and hopes often in the context of a relationship. We want it to go somewhere. We want it to be something and it doesn't happen and it falls apart. We extend friendship or romance to somebody 
and they do not return in the way that we had hoped. Marriages that fall apart, relationships, dating, friendships even, family relationships, these things fall apart and it breaks our hearts. And it's, it's one of those things we, we look back through the history of our lives. What is the hardest thing we've had to go through? For many of us, it's a broken heart. Well, it says Jesus has come to heal those broken hearts. He, he, he's come not just to give you a list of rules. Here's how you're supposed to live. Here's what you're supposed to do. You know, cut out that smoking, cut out that drinking, start to recycle, comb your hair, get a job, take a shower. No, he has come to heal your yes. broken heart. Yes. Uh, Psalm 23, you know, a passage many of you would have committed to memory. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, what does it say? He, it says he restores my soul. Yes. He restores my soul. That's another way of saying the same thing. He heals the broken heart. He, he, he restores the soul. Some of you are going through a great restoration process right now. He's restoring your soul. Now, there are probably in, in this room, probably many of you, especially you men, who know more about restoring furniture than I do. I don't know. I think, I, I think I've been involved in trying to fix up one piece of furniture in my, my life. I, I don't know much about restoring furniture. I know this much. So, sometimes it can look worse before it looks better. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, you have to kind of scrape off the old surface, the old paint, the old varnish. You have to get down to the, the bare bones uh, of what it is, of the, the wood. You, you need to get rid of everything. It looks worse before it looks better. Yeah. Some of you are in a season like that right now. God's restoring your soul, yes. and, he, and he's stripping off a lot of that fake exterior yes, stuff that's in the way. And, and he's trying to get to you to be authentic. He's trying to get you to, to be real. Yeah. And a lot of that uh, faux religious piety and moralism and, uh, you know, good civic exterior that you have on the outside. Come the on. good exterior you want when people to see. Jesus is just stripping that away yeah. and showing you for who you really are. Yeah, and, and showing the, the woundedness, the brokenness that's really there that you like to pretend is not there, but it's there. And he's stripping everything away yeah. so he can deal with the real problem. And then he can build you back up. He can build you back into something that's beautiful, to something that's real, something that's not fake. He's restoring your soul. He, he's healing your broken heart. He proclaims liberty to the captives. Yes. Guys, some of you, you we want to be uh, holy. We want to be righteous. And there we just have this besetting sin. All of us in different ways. We, we have these things called besetting sins. There's sin and then there's what he, the book of Hebrews call besetting sins, which are, you know, it's like glue. It's just hard to get rid of. We, you know, take, uh, take off the sin and chuck it away and it just it's like a boomerang. It comes back to us and uh, it's besetting. And Jesus comes, he's risen from the dead and he is proclaiming liberty. And he wants, as he heals our broken hearts, as he gets us to be authentic, he begins to bring liberty into our lives. And that can be a process. A lot of times we want God to fix this one area where we keep on sinning and messing up. And we're like, all right, Jesus, fix this. No, he, heal this. And he starts dealing with something else. Like, oh, okay, God, uh, thanks. But he, my problem's over here. And God's convicting us about complaining or a lack of thankfulness. And like, oh, okay, God, but what about this area? And what we don't understand is uh, our soul is... Human being is a really complicated thing. No one really knows how we work. 
a whole bunch of interconnected strands and knots and, and we think the problem's over here, but we don't know that the roots are way over here. And, and sometimes that, that one area we want God to fix so we can be righteous and holy in this area. Sometimes the roots are way over here and he's beginning to shape us and mold us and we, we don't even see how it's connected. If you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness and you keep coming to Jesus and giving him your sin, and you're willing to confess your sin to him and you're willing to confess your sin to trusted, and I emphasize trusted brothers and sisters who can pray for you and help you, he will set you on a path to, to freedom. Proclaims liberty to the captives, freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Hey, yo, you might be the biggest sinner in Louisa County. Maybe you are. Welcome to church. You're the biggest pervert in the county. Welcome. It's good to have you. Uh, Jesus, we have good news for you. Jesus is on the throne of mercy. There's no sin that Jesus cannot forgive. There's no one that Jesus will not accept. Uh, any of you, Jesus will accept you. Jesus will love you. Jesus, God the Father, welcome you into his family. Make you his son. Make you his daughter. We live in a year of the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus came to proclaim. Yes. That there is no one who cannot come into the kingdom of God. And that's unique. Yeah. That's unique. Most religious teachers talked about the good guys and the bad guys. Jesus shows up and says, you're all bad guys. Yeah, come on. <laughs> and, and I've got good news for you. You, you can all come into the kingdom. Uh, the Bible is not a book of good guys versus bad guys. That's it's right. you're all bad guys. And there's one good guy. His name's Jesus. Uh, that's it. And you can all come and you can all be forgiven. And it's not us versus them. It's Jesus versus the rest of us. Yeah. And we're in trouble. But he's, hey, he comes with mercy. It's the year of the Lord's favor. And it says this. And the day of our God's vengeance. They have our God's vengeance. There is a day of vengeance where God judges wickedness, where God judges sin, where God judges evil. You know, the word justice is a good word. We need that. Some of you have been terribly hurt by other people. You, you've been terribly, when other people have said nasty, untrue things about you. It's hurt your reputation, it's hurt relationships. You, you've had people uh, lie about you, abuse you. They've manipulated, abused you emotionally, verbally, socially, some, some, some maybe physically or sexually. You have been abused and that person has never said they're sorry. And some of you, 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 you have faces passing through your mind right now. You, you, you have a face in mind when I say that. You know exactly who I'm talking about. You have somebody that, that has hurt you and they've never admitted They've never said they're sorry. They've never tried to make up for it. They, they've never done anything to, to try to fix the, the hurt that they've caused. The Bible says there's a day of vengeance against those people and against those things. There's only one way you can avoid taking vent revenge into your own hands. And that's if you believe that there's a God of vengeance. A lot of times people think, well, I, I don't want to believe in an angry God or, or a God who judges because if, you know, I believe in a God who judges or an angry God, then, then maybe I'll become angry too. No, it, it, it's just the opposite. If we don't believe there's a day of justice, that one day God will perfectly judge the world, that no one gets away with anything, then we can't help it. We're moral creatures. We cry out for justice and we'll begin to take justice into our own hands. If God's not a judge, well, then I'll fill the role. 
And those people who hurt me, then I'm going to hurt them back. No, the, the Bible says when people do evil to us, we can bless them because God is a God of vengeance. Leave room for the vengeance of God, Scripture says. There will be a day when God judges the world perfectly. In the end, no one gets away with anything. There is perfect justice for this planet. You've read the newspapers, you've seen the television, you've seen, read about horrible things that happen in this world to innocent people and it's made you mad. Guess what? It makes Jesus mad too. It makes him more angry than it makes you. Now he has a longer fuse than you and I. He's not a hothead. He's not a hothead. He gives time and space to people to repent. A lot more time and space than we would give to people to repent. But he is angry and there will be a day of justice. And we know that we think, well, praise God. You know, if there, if there is no day of vengeance, what hope is there for the world? However, we're not just victims in all of this, are we? We're not just victims who have been hurt by other people. Some of us have hurt others. Some of us have said and done things to other people that's hurt and offended them. Some of us aren't even aware of it sometimes. It's not that we've just been sinned against, we've also sinned. And the Bible says that there's a day of vengeance ahead. We like the word justice, we don't like the word judgment for some reason. They, they are connected, by the way. <laughs> we like the word justice, we don't like the word judgment. We love justice when it's for other people, we're not so keen when it's for ourselves. The Bible says there's a day of vengeance against all evil and against all sin. And Jesus is proclaiming that there is this, this day of vengeance. Hmm. So, how is that good news? We understand why that might be good news for people who have hurt us. But how is that good news for us? Hmm. I'm going to get back to that. We're going to come back to that point in a little bit. The passage continues that Jesus, in doing this, in because of what Jesus is doing, he's going to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who mourn in Zion. Okay? There's a, there is a time to mourn. I know we come into church and we're thankful and we're happy and we rejoice and, and all this other stuff. I, you know, I, I, I got to say, one of, the, one of the things I like when, when I visit um, uh, churches that are maybe more in the African-American tradition Okay, they, they, tend to, they tend to get it a lot better than the rest of us about how to worship God in your sorrow. You know, that, that, that's where that deep soul music comes from and that deep, you know, they, they, you just offer up your sorrows, your burdens. That's what a lot of those old African-American spiritual songs talk about. Uh, you know, come into the cross and, and lay in the, the sorrows and the weeping and, and, and that, that God can comfort us in our sorrows. It, yeah. I sometimes think that that's a very healthy way of worshiping the Lord. We all need to do that sometime. We all need to, uh, you know, be very honest with the fact that we're hurt and worship. And, you know, sometimes we're sad. And we need to learn to worship the Lord in the midst of that sorrow and that brokenness. And, and we find comfort from God in it. As, as, instead of pretending that we're just happy. 
you know, we come to church. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Oh, you're doing? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, if I, you know, sometimes, you know, you just want to say, you know what? My week really sucks. I'm just, to be honest with you, I don't really want to go into detail with you, but I'm not fine. And that's why I'm here. And I'm going to worship the Lord. And I'm not fine. Thank you. You know, that's, you know, hey, guys. Wouldn't it be good if that was okay? Yeah. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you like to be a part of a church where that was okay to say every now and then? I, I don't know what Pastor Bernie will think of me saying this, but I just give you permission. Next week, if you have a horrible week when people come and ask you, you can just say, I've had a rubbish week. Um, so that's very British to say, rubbish week. I've had a crappy week, you know, and I'm not fine. I'm miserable, but I'm going to worship Jesus anyway. Uh, you, you have permission Say that here. That's okay. That can, is it okay to tell the truth in church sometimes? Yeah, let's, let's, let's do that. Let's be an honest church. Sometimes we mourn. Sometimes we mourn and we need to be comforted. And it really doesn't help if we're telling everyone we're fine when we're not. Okay? Um, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, splendid clothes instead of despair. And they will be called righteous trees, or as maybe another ver your version might say, oaks of righteousness, planted by the Lord to glorify Him. The Bible actually, we talk a lot about being fruitful, uh, and right, rightfully so. Now, the Bible speaks a lot about being fruitful. We want fruitful lives. But the Bible doesn't just speak about being fruitful. It first speaks about being planted. Uh, and as those of you who may be involved in farming, once again, much more experience in these things than I do. A tree's not going to bear much fruit if it's not planted. I got that much down, like <laughs> agriculture 101, I kind of got. If it's not planted, if it doesn't have roots, it's probably not going to bear a lot of fruit. I kind of got that bit, not much else, but, you know, for beginners. No roots, no fruit. Yeah. God wants, he, you know, he, for some of you, you're just going to see God's just planting you. He's planting you in a ministry. He's planting you in a church. He's planting you in a, maybe in a new job and a place of relationship. He's bringing you to a place where you can put your roots down. He's getting you to, uh, spiritually even, sometimes there's this spiritual planting of just learning to be humble and living a life of repentance. And there's a lot of hidden things. Our Christian walk isn't all visible. Uh, you know, some, there is visible fruit, but beneath that visible fruit, there's a lot of things that go unseen. A lot of secretive prayer that no one's supposed to know about. Maybe some fasting that no one knows about. Giving in secret that no one knows about. Uh, and you really only get to bear a fruitful life. Fruit that really remains for eternity. I'm not talking about the, sometimes there's fruit that's there for a minute and then gone. And, but I mean, fruit that really lasts has roots to it. And if you, if you really want to be a man or woman of God that produces roots or produces fruit that lasts for the long run, you're going to have to have a secret of life that's not seen by other people, a secret life with God of secret worship and secret prayer and repentance and giving and, and these different things. It, not stuff you, you know, update your Facebook status about. <laughs> Guess what I did this week? I spent, oh, third day of fasting. Facebook said, you know, there's a secret life with God where your character is developed and you will yeah. then bear fruit that, that lasts. Yes. And if some of you, God's planting you. He's, he's planting you in different, and we're planted in different ways. Socially, spiritually, in, in our work. He's planting you to, to bear much fruit. But I get back to this thing here. Um, how is this good news? I'm going to get back to the day of vengeance thing here. Because 
Jesus Christ, he comes on a mission. Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, has no need of anything. He walks on streets that are gold. So unless you're doing that, compared to him, you're poor. Okay, let's just say that. Even if you're well off compared to the rest of the people in this church, he walked on streets of gold. Um, it was worshipped by angels, the wealth of the universe. Um, you know, wealth unimaginable. And you know what he did with all that wealth? He gave it all away. So that you and I could have the only riches that really matter. And he became poor. He sent to bring good news to the poor while Jesus became poor. He, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Well, God, Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, who is in perfect relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit and the perfect Trinity from all eternity past, he became a man with human emotions, developed human friendships. You know what? They betrayed him and they denied him. And people said false things against him. And he knows what it's like emotionally to have a broken heart. He knows what it's like to be slandered against. God knows what it's like to have his heart broken. Because he's become human. He's taken on flesh. To proclaim liberty to the captives. You know what? For your sake and my sake, Jesus became a captive. His hands were bound. He was put in chains. He was led away like a prisoner. He, to a prisoner. Ashes. Mourning. Despair. The Son of God who lived in... Perfect joy and perfect peace, perfect wealth, perfect love. He gave that all away and embraced all these things so that he could bring you and I good news. Yes. The difference, the thing that's unique about Jesus Christ is that because he is God, gave it all away and chose the, this life of being a prisoner, of being poor, of being brokenhearted. To exchange all of his, he exchanged all the beauty of being God for all the ugliness of being human and humanity at its worst so that you and I can have the only beauty that really matters. He did all that so he can bring us good news. Every other philosophy, every other political party, every other religion, they don't bring good news, they bring good advice. Yeah, come on now. Okay. They'll bring you good advice. You know, you should really stop lying. And you know what? Maybe you should. Just a thought. You know, you, you really should start recycling. You should really get involved in social justice. You shouldn't be smoking and drinking. Oh, you definitely shouldn't be at McDonald's. You know, hey, 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 here's the... And, and they bring you good advice about what to do. Eat this, don't eat that. Drink this, don't drink that. Uh, and they give you a long list of, uh, of kind of do's and don'ts. You can fix up your life. And you know what? That... That's pretty much all the same. And yet sometimes we as Christians fall into this. Sometimes I've sat in churches and I thought, and you know, you know on the, for those of you who are married, you know what it's like on, on the, the, the drive home after church where you talk about what you really thought of the service. You know, because I know, I know like afterwards a lot of you are going to shake my hand and say, oh, good message, good message, good message. Yeah. But then you're going to get in your car and talk with your wife or husband and you're going to say what you really thought, you know. And uh, I, do, I do the same, you know. And so how many times I've gotten in, in the car with my wife and she's like, okay, so what did you really think? 
And because I'm a preacher, I'm not a worship leader. I never, I never critique the worship leader. So you guys are good as far as I'm concerned. But I, I can't carry a tune in the bucket. So you're cool. Me. You know, I, I don't know. I have never critiqued the worship leader. But, but I'm a preacher. So I always critique the preaching. And, and sometimes it might be great. And other times I say, wow, that was a good message. And it would also be a good message in a mosque or a synagogue or oh, just now. about a, any other. Because he gave a whole lot of good advice. But there was no good news. So what are you sharing with your family? Your family members? Your co-workers? Are you telling them how they need to fix up their lives? Clean up them, their lives? Are you giving them a lot of good advice about what they should and shouldn't be doing? Or are you giving them good news? Are you saying the same things to them that a religious Jew or a devout Muslim would say? About you need to stop this sort of sin. You need to do that. You need to... Well, great. With a lot of them, they know that. They know that. Here's the difference between good advice and good news. Okay, let's, uh, uh, I think you have the sweetheart banquet coming up. Did I get that right? Yeah. Okay, okay let, me, let me use it. You know, raise your hand if you're going to that. Okay, sweetheart banquet. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. So is this a youth thing or not? Is this a thing for the church? It's a youth thing. I didn't see any youth raise their hand. Oh, oh, they're going to be working there. Oh, it's for the, the youth work. And it's for, doing it for the adults. Ah, now the pieces of the puzzle fall into place. And I understand. Okay. All right. I think I, was, I thought it was like a dance for the youth. Okay. So I misunderstood. Misunderstood. Very well. Okay. Well, scrap that illustration. And I got to think of a new, I got to think of a new one now. Um, all right. Well, uh, let, you see, I can't pick. I see. I see Nathan right there, and my memory of Nathan is this is a 16-year-old, and I want to pick on him, but it won't work because now he's married, and and this won't work. But let's go back in time to when I was 19 and he was 16, for a minute, and let's say I'm I'm 19-year-old Joshua and he's 16-year-old Nathan, and, and he comes to me and says. Oh, Joshua, I, oh, there's this girl I met. Oh, she's amazing, you know. Oh, she's, she, oh, she's so cute. And uh, I just, you know, I really want to ask her out. And, and now if I were to give him good advice, it would be, well, Nathan, if you want to ask this girl out, then one, you need to take a shower. And, you know, you need to get some fashion sense. You need to get a, you know, shirt with buttons and everything. And, you know, yeah, I recommend getting a job because, you know, girlfriends cost money. And, and I give him a lot of good advice. That would be good advice. But if I were to give him good news, it would be this. It's, he'd come to me and say, I really like this girl. And I would say, well, I was just talking to her yesterday. She's crazy about you. She's just waiting for you to ask her out. Now, that would, that would be good news. Now, he may do the same thing. He may run out and take a shower and get a job. And wow, she's waiting. And he may run out and do a lot of the same things on the exterior, but with an incredibly different heart motivation. Yeah. And that's all the different... So for some of you, you're, you're trying to give people good advice. And one of the worst things that could happen is if they begin to just follow the good advice without good news. Oh, because on. you're making your irreligious, godless relative or coworker into a Pharisee. And they're cleaning themselves up. They're cleaning the exterior of the cup, but not the inside of the cup. 
They're becoming critical and religious and proud. And you know what? The devil will happily allow them to give up their drinking and their lust if and exchange it for religious pride. It wasn't irreligious, godless people that killed Jesus. It was religious people, moral people, outstanding citizens, people who thought they were better than others. Those were the ones who killed Jesus. People who followed lots of good advice but who didn't believe good news. Okay? Uh, we, we really need to make sure we're getting our message right here, folks. We can't preach a Pharisee's gospel. We need, we need to preach. And that's when we want the Holy Spirit to come upon us. Why did, why, is, why did the Holy Spirit come on Jesus? Why did the Spirit of the Lord come upon him? Because God anointed him to bring good news. I know a lot of times we use the term anointed and coming of the Holy Spirit like synonymously. But in this passage, they mean something slightly different. The Holy Spirit's coming on me because God's anointed me to bring good news. So I want you to think of anointing meaning like chosen for a purpose. God put, he orientated, he infused purpose into Jesus to bring good news to people. And that was his orientation, that was his purpose. And because of that, the Holy Spirit came on him. So if we are oriented in this way, if this is our purpose, that's when we can pray for and expect the coming of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's not going to come on us if we're just going around giving our neighbors good advice. Okay? Maybe they need good advice. Good advice is good. But it doesn't make you stand up and sing, my chains fell off, my heart was free. Yeah. I always went forth and followed Amen. thee. Long did my imprisoned spirits lay, held fast and sin. No, no. It, there's only one thing. <laughs> Once you get the good news, it changes you and the good advice kind of takes care of itself. It, it falls into place. You see, the, the, the Bible is not primarily a list of rules about what you're supposed to do. The Bible the Bible's, as a book isn't primarily about you. The book is about God and what he is doing to save you. Okay, there's two ways to read the Bible. It's where you look through and say, okay, what, what am I supposed to do? And what am I going to, uh, and you come with the list of rules. Okay, it says I'm supposed to do this and that, and I'm going to go out and do this. Well, there's, there's a little bit of truth to that. But if that's your primary focus, you're really going to miss it. It's about Jesus and what he has done for you on your behalf. That he became poor for you. That he became broken. That the day of vengeance, the first day of vengeance, is not some day in the future where God's going to judge the world. The day of vengeance was on Calvary. It was on the day when Jesus took your sin and my sin and the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. Jesus, God the Father, is more, because of your sin and my sin, God the Father was more angry at you and me than anybody else who's ever been angry at us. The difference being that his anger at us was pure. It wasn't based on misconception. It wasn't based on uh, selfishness and brokenness. No, he saw the sin that you and I have committed, and he was just fully, rightfully angry at the evil that it was. But instead of letting that vengeance just fall on us, he's given us all an opportunity by Jesus coming in the flesh to take that vengeance upon himself. The vengeance that you and I deserve, Jesus took it at the cross. And so today, if you do not know Jesus, if you are not a Christian today, you should become one yes. now, okay? Yes. You give him your sin. You confess your sin to him and the vengeance of God will not fall on you. It will fall and it has fallen on Jesus Christ. 
And because of that, there, there is no one that Jesus, that's why you can be a pervert and a liar and a manipulator and a holy God will still take unholy you into his family. He cares very much about justice. He cares so much about justice that in order to love you, he poured death and hatred upon his very own son so you could be brought into the family of God. God was determined to have mercy on you even if it would kill him. And it did. The day of vengeance of our God was done on Calvary 2,000 years ago. So, and in that wrath and justice and mercy and grace, it all meets. The day of vengeance of our God is good news. Because there was a day of vengeance 2,000 years ago, you and I can live without the divine vengeance that you and I deserve. That's good news for everybody. That's good news for every uh, Jew, every Muslim, every cultural Christian, every atheist. We can have, because of what Jesus has done, the vengeance of God does not have to fall on us because he's let it fall on his own son. There was a day of vengeance. So that for the future day of vengeance, you and I can stand clean and forgiven and innocent. And that is the good news. That is, that's what the word gospel means. It's an old English word that means good news. This is the message that we need to preach. This is the message that transformed the world. So... If you do not know Jesus, if you are not a Christian, I, I am concerned for somebody in here that you may be a great moral person who's so much better than your other family members and your neighbors and your coworkers. And you don't cuss like they do. And I don't drink quite like they do. And I don't do this like they do. You know what? The vengeance of God is over you unless you've come to Jesus. Unless you bow the knee to Jesus and say, I am a mess, fix me up. Until you get to that point where you've realized you need help and mercy and you don't deserve it, you, you are blind in your religious pride. Some of you, you need to come to Jesus in humility and ask him to just save you. Yeah. To tell him that you are a wreck and he will save you and he will have mercy on you. You are such a mess. Your life is such a wreck. The sin you have caused other people, the sin you've done against God is so evil and so abhorrent to God. And God looks at the sin that you've committed in your life and he's so angered by it that it, it cost the life of his son. Jesus died for your sin in your place. It should have been you and me on that cross. But he loves us. He loves you. Well, I'm not that bad. Fine. Live without Jesus. Go ahead. Live without Jesus. This is good news for the poor. For those of you who are rich and don't need anything, go about your merry way. But for the rest of us who have sinned against God and who deserve vengeance and who are brokenhearted, there is a place of mercy, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. So I invite you to put down your pride. Put down your moralism, your religiosity, and come to a place of mercy. It's at the cross of Christ. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to hand it back. <laughs> I guess I'll hand it back to you. Uh, I'm weaning it, too. And as I pray, some of you need to say your own prayers to God. You need to confess your sin. Um, and I guess these guys are coming up to do music, which is cool. You guys can begin.
uh, as soon as you're ready. Father, we thank you for Jesus. I, I thank you that there is good news for those of us who are poor. God, forgive us for our pride. Forgive us uh, for being so caught up in the externals and for thinking that we're better than our family members and our friends and our co-workers because we either do this or we don't do that or we say this and we don't say that, God. And, and that pride, it just it stinks to high heavens. And you call us to come to you and to recognize that we are poor and in need of mercy. Yeah. So, Father, I pray for those in here who are irreligious and godless and immoral. Jesus. They need you. Yes. And I pray that they would find mercy with you, that they would hand their sin over to you and find mercy. Yeah. And for those who are religious and moral, but who are proud and who live a life of good advice, but not good news. I pray that you would convict them of that and that they would find true repentance and humility and they would see that they need the cross of Christ. We thank you that there was a day of vengeance. There where Jesus took the vengeance that I deserve, that all of us deserve. And Lord, we, we thank you. Got that righteous anger. We all deserve that righteous anger that we can now be accepted into your family. God, for those here who are brokenhearted, especially, Lord, either this week or this month or this year has been traumatic for them because a relationship or an expectation hasn't gone the way they hoped. God, I, I pray that in your acceptance that their hearts would begin to find healing. For those who are struggling with a reoccurring sin that they just can't seem to get free from, they keep falling back into it, God, we... Jesus, you said that you would bring freedom to the captives. And so, Father, I, I pray that you would continue the work that you've begun inside of each and every person. Help us to bring those sins out of the darkness into the light to you and maybe to one or two trusted friends or mentors that we can share our lives with. Lord, I want to pray specifically against why well, I just feel inspired. I know I didn't really talk about it during my, my message, but as, as I'm praying, I feel there might be some people who are in spiritual isolation. I mean, you're here, you're coming to the church, you have Christians around you. Maybe you're even in a position of leadership and responsibility, uh, or p other people look to you as being particularly uh, a good example in some ways, but you're isolated. There, there, are, there are things in your life that just you know about that no one else knows about. There's a sense in which spiritually you're quite distant from a lot of people because you're scared, because you feel you need to hide things. You're scared of what other people would think if they found out. And uh, you, you're even nervous even to confess them to God. And, and God, those people are spiritually isolated. I pray that you would bring a couple of trusted friends or mentors into their lives that they can really be authentic and real with. James 5 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you can be healed. And, yeah. and God, I pray for safe relations. Not all relationships are safe, God. May they just not unload on just anybody. But God, I pray for a couple of safe relationships. For those people who are spiritually isolated and have built up a lot of false pretenses, Lord. And um, there can be a place of real authentic walking out of their salvation in relationship and friendship. Um, Set, set your people free from spiritual isolation, I pray. Lord, they can be planted, uh, God, in, in real relationships and with you, Father.
Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for their commitment to missions. I thank you for their faithful partnership with uh, myself and my wife in the, the advancement of the gospel of the ministry overseas. Thank you, Lord, as they have blessed us. I, I uh, speak a blessing on them as they uh, look for finances and support to finish their building project and look ultimately just to win souls for your kingdom. Bless them in that, I pray. Give them the resources they need. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by it. Central Virginia Assembly of God is located on 5052 Cross County Road, Mineral Virginia, 23117. If you would like more information about the church, visit us at centralvaag.org or call 804-514-2413. We would love to hear from you. God bless.